All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Car Thoughts with David. I'm your host, as always, David Calvert. And I've got another interview for you guys with Amir Borland. He is the recruitment guide. He is the co-founder of Elvano uh, Personalized Recruitment Strategy Company. And uh, he is here to talk with us today about recruitment marketing and how he's changing the game with recruiting. So, Amir, if you'd like to uh, just share a little bit about yourself, we'll get started. Sure, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I actually uh, started as a software engineer in the space. Um, so I was a developer for a number of years. Um, I quickly realized that I didn't enjoy the the coding aspect in terms of you know the activity. While I could do it and it was it was challenging, I just didn't thrive in it. Um, and, and I started realized that I enjoyed the meetings and the side activities a lot more. So, uh, you know, the people side of it appealed more. And I just slowly started to realize that I need to gravitate towards that. And I, I got jobs into, you know, analysis work and uh, project management work where, you know, it's a lot less hands-on. I was still related to technology, but all all more people-oriented. Um, finally ended up uh, as a business intelligence practice manager where I was involved, you know, in the sales life cycle and I really then got, you know, the taste of what sales is like kinda. Um and then just decided uh to branch off on my own. Uh you know, my my consulting company turned into a recruiting recruiting company and, and here I am. Very cool. Very cool. And uh you know coming from that uh that background as well, uh, you know, I definitely um understand the uh the the software programming part of it and the uh the recruiting part of it and <laughs> you know I'm very familiar with that process and it is uh you're either a programmer or you're not. You know, you sit down and you're like, you know, ah oh, geez, this is just not my passion. This is not my thing. I'd rather be working on something else in this process because uh, it can be tedious uh, from my experience. Um yeah, you want to get into those less uh less tedious parts of the work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and what's funny is like now that you know we place people and I and I kind of see the rules. Um, <clears throat> the interesting part is I kind of look at them and go, that it's it's so much, uh, it's so much more fragmented in terms of the types of roles and responsibilities, and um, you know the front end visualization part has a lot more love given to it, and you know there's just different you know titles and jobs that didn't exist when I started my career out, uh, you know almost 20 years ago. So I kind of look at hindsight and I go, I wonder if I was to come into the market now, whether I'd find, you know, a, a role within the context of what's going on now as, as you know, more appealing. But um, obviously, yeah, I, I think given the circumstance of where I was, I just realized that, you know, going to work every day and doing work, and I thought I produced good work, but, but I wasn't really just like, wow. And I think that was something that was important to me was to go to work and go, I've really just, it doesn't feel like I'm there eight hours. I think that's like for, you know, even when we talk to a lot of candidates now, um, we always talk internally to my staff that people spend most of their time at their job. I, I spend time with our team here more than I do with my wife and child. I'm here, you know, 50, 50, 60 hours a week. And, uh, you know, I see my family you know, after, after work pretty much. And then on the weekend, so, um, you gotta love what you do, otherwise you, you're looking at the clock and you're punching the clock and you're just hoping the day goes by, and that's just such a rough way to just get through it. I think. Yeah, I mean that's that's definitely so true because uh, you know 
the only probably the only thing that anybody would be doing more than working on an average basis would be uh, probably sleeping. <laughs> so, yeah, and it's funny, yeah, you know, I, I growing up, you know, we have all these different you know, thoughts in our head of what we should do and what we shouldn't be and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I kind of look at it now having a, you know, five-year-old daughter and I'm like, I want to let her figure out what she wants. If in my eye it's a mistake, but if she has passion for it, that, that's better that she pursues that passion than, you know, what I think she might do well in. Cause obviously I have now adult thoughts in my head about, you know, how you got to make a living, you have to have job security, all that kind of stuff. So I think, I think I kind of, you know, taking my own experience and, and I want to apply it differently to my child because I, I know like I didn't have those options growing up. It was like, Hey, well, you know, how are you going to make money? You know, no, you can't. And, uh, my, my father essentially is a little bit old school. He was like, well, you know, I don't see our, our history majors making a lot of money. And, and now funny in hindsight, I bet you if you're an art history major and you specialize in something and you have a blog or podcast that talks about it, I bet you can make a lot of money doing it. And, um, but back, you know, then his, his, you know, immigrant, you know, thought process was it's got to be like a tangible skill. You can't, you know, have, you know, uh, anything outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually came from that same background. My, uh, my father, um, you know, he didn't go to uh, college because he couldn't, you know, he got married young, had kids, had to kind of give that all up. And, uh, so his dream for me was to go to college, graduate, get that degree, get that good, um, that good job and all of that. And, um, you know, which, you know, I did eventually get the job, but I, I never actually finished college. Uh, it just wasn't for me. Um, cause at the time I went to college like 20, you know, 20 years ago now. And, uh, you know, back then none of my actual professors were actually had a degree in computer programming or computer science. So um, I was learning computers from people who had never actually studied computers. <laughs> and uh, they were all mathematicians. So it was definitely not a good learning environment. So I was like, you yeah, know, I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. I got this. Yeah, it's funny that uh, I had this conversation with my father-in-law. I, I, I think it was Sunday night. And I said, there's so many different jobs out there that can – you can do very well at that we're just not exposed to. And I think it's one of those where, you know, now, nowadays, you know, when you listen to stuff out in the, you know, on podcasts and, and social media, it's, it's a lot more skills driven. And I think everyone is realizing that if you have a skill, you know, there, are, there are different avenues to, 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 you know, make a financial uh, career out of whatever skill you've attained versus I think maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it, it was very much, you have to go to college to get that skill. Whereas now you could have that skill without going to college. And I think that's kind of shifted. And uh, I think the complexion of, you know, higher education might shift. I, I'm a big fan. I mean, I, I think getting a degree helped me in some ways because being in a tech field, it, it, it was, a, it was kind of useful, but also I can see boot camps nowadays I mean, these people are going through boot camps and they're coming out, you know, year or two out and they're doing really well because they have the skill necessary to, to go function as a developer in, in the area of their choosing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so I mean, when you, uh, when you left the tech, uh, industry and started your consulting firm, uh, you know, how did you end up at, um, recruiting? You know, what was, what was yeah. the transition? 
question mind because I'm curious about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you, if you, I mean, it's kind of, uh, you know, we, we obviously were a young firm and business intelligence was, you know, my core strength. So we, we focused on that in the consultancy. And then we had somebody approach us for, you know, a placement. And, you know, when you're, when you're a business starting out, you're really taking on whatever you can just to, you know, keep the lights on. So, uh, we said yes. We'd never done it before, and um, we kind of then were like, okay, well, all right. So how do we actually go about this? So we started to, you know, uh, read as much as we could. We started to maybe, you know, we actually talked to a few people that we knew in the industry. We we're like, all right, so we've never done this. How do we get get up to speed? So they gave us a lot of insight, a lot of a lot of good early on mentoring to um, help facilitate that transition. And then I think just as we got into it you know, our, our sales efforts shifted and we just realized, well, we're now doing this a lot more than we are project work. Um, we still do some project work, but we're heavier focused on recruitment. And I think that was uh, an interesting transition because I think at some point we realized that, you know, there was such a big market not have. I mean, obviously I was recruited as an engineer and I knew it was a big market, but you don't quite realize how competitive and big the, the whole recruiting space is. I think in the U.S., uh, between you know permanent and contract staffing, it's a 160 billion dollar industry. That, that's I think slightly bigger than pizza, just to put that in perspective. Wow, so it's quite impressive. But yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah, I think that's really important too because so many businesses that I've seen that fail um, just you know don't adapt. You know, they don't say, oh well, you know, let's let's take on something else, and I'm like, wow, this is doing really well. Um, you know, maybe I should be doing this instead of that because that's what I started. But you know, they don't they don't uh, shift or pivot or whatever the the correct word is for that, um, and then they lose out on stuff. So I think that's really cool. Um, you know how that that happened because that's you know something you don't hear a lot in business where people say, yeah, we just decided to do something else because it was it was better for us, it was working, so we went in that direction. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's, it happens like when you're when you're in the midst of it, and it just kind of happens. I, I honestly, I we decided to take on a business, but I don't think we we thought that was going to be the outcome. I think we we took the business, figuring, all right, yeah, revenue is revenue right now, and then you know once we started getting into it, we it just kind of just expanding. And, um, yeah, it was, it was a very, yeah, I think hindsight now, I mean, it, I think being aware that a young business really needs to say yes to a lot of things sometimes because revenue is key. And then you can compare it back and start narrowing down in terms of, okay, well, I don't want to take these projects on or I don't want this particular piece of business because, you know, the ROI is not there. But I, I do think early on, like when you're just first starting out, you do need to really look at, you know, what what you need to do to keep the lights on because the 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 game is long like it's a marathon you're, if you're figuring you know how am i going to keep the you know how am i going to have a successful exit starting a business in two three years you're going to be you know unless you just are the next instagram or you know a hot business that just blows up typically it's a it's a lot slower a lot more you know issues pop up running a business than you would have felt before you started it yeah, yeah. I mean, when when starting a business, uh, you know, you, no matter how well you plan it, there's always going to be those surprises that just come at you that you're like, well, I didn't really think of that. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as, 
I mean, as far as the recruiting space, do you recruit for, like, all types of work, like contract versus full-time, or is it just, like, um, strictly one or the other? Or? Yeah, we, we we actually do both. I mean, either permanent or contract, we're, we're okay with either. We we typically focus, you know, in, in the engineering space, in the creative space, in the uh, delivery space. Um we, we've we've done some accounting finance and like some operations, but you know our bread and butter is you know the, the other side of the house, um, and I think that's where we excel. You know, I I think we leverage a lot my engineering background, having gone through the process. It's it's easy to to build what you want to happen to you into the fabric of the company. So the one thing I disliked along the way was all the different games that recruiters play and all the you know, tactics. So we went about reverse engineering a process where we were like, well, the outcome should be people are happy. And um, we actually just like four months ago started capturing Google reviews and we had been capturing them slowly, but we really said, you know what? We do such fantastic work. We want to actually have it all aggregated someplace. We don't want people emailing us testimonials. We're going to just choose Google as a platform. And in the four months that we started doing that, we've racked up, I think, close to 100-plus reviews. And these are not people that we place. These reviews are just people that, you know, we had dialogue, we had conversation, we represented them, but the main, you know, majority of them didn't get jobs. And they still felt strongly enough about our our company that they wrote a review for us. And I think that was the hope was we're going to start with a company that when somebody finishes working with us, whether we place them or not, they go – Man, these people at Alvano were were damn good. You know, they treated me absolutely first class. They put me in front of of the rest of the parameters of of, of their business. Candidate, you know, candidate first actuality, not just saying it. And then and then you build a process to support that. I think a lot of recruiting companies, because they don't have people that have sat in the other seats, have been recruited. These are people that you know start in recruiting, they stay in recruiting. That's the world they know. I think coming from the other side you know the level of service you would wish for, and that's what we just, you know, aim to do at, at Alabano. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's super powerful because as being somebody who's uh, been recruited before uh, multiple times, and uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, some, if not many of my listeners also have as well, um, you know, sitting there and you're trying to explain what you do and what you're good at and what your skill set is to somebody who's, never, you know, they've never worked a tech job before. They've never worked whatever type of job you're trying to get into and you're trying to explain this. And they're like, oh, okay, so you, you work with Microsoft Office. And I'm like, it's a little more complicated than that, but yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, so so it's definitely nice to talk to somebody who actually knows where you're coming from, and I'm sure that's a breath of fresh air for everybody that you worked with, hence the reason you're getting these, these stellar reviews. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, the, the trick there is, you know, being an engineer, that that helps, like, me personally. And when we were first starting off, that was a big component. And then the, and then it was like, well, if we're going to hire people and we're going to train them, they're not they're not a mirror. They're, they weren't an engineer. How do we build a process that is still candidate first and that, that fabric is a part of just everything you do? And I think that's that's what really helped us. We built a training program so that we could take anybody and be like, all right, so you're not an engineer, but let me help you explain the drivers 
the thought process. You'll never be able to say you sat in their seat, and, and that's just – it is what it is. As close as possible, uh, based on my experiences, based on what I, I know needs to be seen, and I think that allows us to have people that we hire that are able to, you know, represent the brand and, and do it justice. And a lot of those reviews there on, on Google reviews are not me, and from me. They're, they're people from the staff. So um, we're a small team, but, you know, they've taken it, you know, to heart. And I think that's that's something I think for several years we were just all head down. You know, we, we did a lot of stuff, you know, relationship marketing, I like to call it. Everyone's focused on social media marketing and it being out in the public to get a like or a, a comment. And I think it's kind of short-sighted. It's about relationship marketing because it might not be something visible. It might be direct messaging. It might be email marketing. It might be different avenues where you're getting a hold of people. But it's a different it's a different way of approaching people because how the company is built that has kind of allowed us now to go, all right, now let's let everyone know, you know, what it is that separates us versus, you know, have it been quiet for the last couple of years. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's super key. Like you said, you know, cause not all of the, the, the working with people, you know, shows a tangible, like, you know, a review or something like that, but you get those messages from people that are like, Hey, you know, I really appreciate how you guys are taking care of me. Thank you so much. Or those phone calls you get and, you know, it's all about building that relationship and actually not being like a faithless, you know, company or, or uh, you know, and actually, you know, strengthening those bonds because you're you're building a referral network at the same time. You know, these people are going to be like, hey, you know, you guys need to go down here talk to these guys because, you know, they're gonna they're gonna take good care of you, you know, uh, and and get you placed or, or at least get you on the right track to getting placed, um, you know, at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, again, I think something that was, in, you know, important to me was um, the company has to operate a certain way and then the processes need to support it. I think, I mean, we're a for-profit business, but I think when it comes to jobs and careers, I think it's it's got to be one of the top five biggies for people, right? I mean, you know, uh, who you want to potentially spend the rest of your life with is a top is, is probably at the top you know do you want children i mean there's some there's some big decisions and then and then your job is is up there it's a you know i actually draw this analogy to 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 the staff and i'm like all right so you you place somebody and you make them take a job because it's good for you he goes to the job he has a bad day he's starting to become miserable he's going to go home it's going to affect his home life like that could affect material quality of life at home so Yes, I like to have closes. My staff loves closes. It's it's why we're in business and, and you know, we're for a profit. But you got to think about the bigger picture. There's another human being sitting on the other side that has to decide whether the job is for them or not for them. And if you shoehorn them because you're focused on your your cut, your commission, then you're not doing right by that person. Focus on them. If they don't take it, well, you better be good enough for your job to have other closes coming. If you're if you're just living on, hey, I got to get anything to do to get that guy closed, then then there's a lot of pressure on you, and you're going to pressure that person to make a decision or or try to influence them. And I think that's the one thing we we do very well here is we're very much supporting the process, and we will tell them, look, we're a little bit biased, but I'm going to be as objective as sounding board, 
And you've got to realize that coming into it, because, yes, we do have a little bit of conflict interest, but I will try to put that aside and, and help you differentiate the other opportunities you're looking at. And we've a lot of times told candidates, why don't you take the other job? Honestly, it sounds like that's the one you want, and, and it sounds like that's what's going to make you happy, and, and, and that's what you should do. And, hey, it's not good for us sometimes, but then that candidate's going to remember us, and, and he does right by us. He sends us a referral. Next time he's looking, he reaches out, and, and it just it means that our brand got stronger versus just that, you know, upfront potential sale. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Cause I, and this is actually something that came up on another interview I did, but uh, it, it, we were talking about something, and, you know, it came up that uh, if you're doing something for the right reason, you know, and you're, you're doing things the right way, you know, the money and everything else is going to fall into place. So, you know, those people are going to remember that. And like you said, they're going to come back. They're going to refer other people to you. And so everything will take care of itself. You might not have closed this one, but, you know, you'll definitely get more opportunities in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think it's the, the smash and grab mentality uh, is something that plagues the recruiting industry. And, and I understand it. Like you have companies that are bigger, that have management structures that are all being judged purely by revenue. And as you kind of go down, that pressure keeps, you know, it's like any sales organization. If if your manager is being judged by the sales you're producing, well, that he wants you to produce. So if not, he's out. So I, I get why, you know, it's such a sales focus over brand. But I do think, uh, you know, we're a smaller company. We're, we're you know, a little bit more nimble. That's why I think we can bring a different flavor to the market. And that will hopefully be the driver of how we can scale. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time building training material so we've been very slow to grow because we were like we want this to be dialed in uh to the point where we could take anybody uh put them in the seat and they have all the tools to succeed um versus i think a higher six people they fire five um i i it seems like such a hard business to run that way we really have uh, kind of been a little bit more uh you know slow pace in, 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 in that sense, but I think we've we've done a lot of things right. Um and I do think our message resonates like uh, like I said, the candidates really like working with us. So I, I feel good that we're doing the right things for for our customers and our, our candidates. Um, yeah, I mean and that's you know <laughs> I mean that's the proof right there that you guys are is seeing those reviews, you know, and and you know, people reaching out, people referring, you know, and you know, if you weren't doing things right, you know, you wouldn't be seeing that kind of a result. And I think that's very important is, you know, you know, so you can see that to some tangible you can track or like you said, those those uh, messages, phone calls that you get. And you, you know that, hey, we've got something going here that's different from everybody else, every other recruitment firm, every other, you know, place out there. They're doing it you know, strictly on a numbers game. You know, we're out there trying to make sure we – get these people a job that they actually want to have because, like you said, jobs are pretty high in the priority list for most people because, you know, without a job, you can't eat, you know, family's kind of rough. <laughs> you know, you kind of need, uh, you kind of need money to, to survive in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, you've definitely got to find something that you want to stick with because otherwise you're going to be miserable. And at the end of the day, nobody really wants to be miserable, I don't think. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I can honestly say I've heard those stories. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like, you know, the, 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 the worst thing that you want to happen, 
if you're a recruitment agency, you place somebody and within the first 60, 90 days, the candidate goes, ah, this place isn't for me. That obviously, you know, has big impacts between the relationship with you and the customer. So you, you better get it right. Otherwise, you know, measure twice, cut once type of, type of uh, analogy. And, um, you know, I think a lot of the marketing that goes towards recruiting from recruiters doesn't take that into, you know, account. I think that's where, um, you know, the, I, I like to, I like to think about it as more of a relationship media marketing focus versus, you know, trying to get somebody to like something. I think there's a lot more that goes into understanding the end customer's needs. And I think, you know, overall recruitment strategies fall short because they're, they're not really understanding the end consumer. Especially if you're in the, I mean, I'm in the engineering space and the creative and, and the delivery space, so I understand those people. I've held those roles, so it's very easy for me to, to convey that. But if you've never done it, like I had mentioned, it's different to understand the, the actual target person and then to build the right type of relationship with the messaging um, and, and the content to support that. That becomes really challenging because all those people can see right through it. It's 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 the funniest thing where. You know, sometimes recruiters think, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get this out there. And, and I always tell my staff, I'm gonna, I was like, they are going to know immediately if you're disingenuous, if this is not, you know, if this is not factual, et cetera, you know, they're almost conditioned to want to sniff out any potential, um, you know, red flags within your messaging or your, your outreach or whatever it is you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you can you can tell, you know, and, and I've had those emails from recruiters before, and I've had some where I've literally not even responded or just said, oh, it's okay, I'm working with this person, I'm about ready to start a role, so thanks anyway, and, you know, so, yeah, I, I definitely can say that I, I've been in that in that position where I've been like, yeah, this, I'm not interested in working with this person. <laughs> Yeah, and it's and it's hard because you know they've been you now people are so conditioned to some of the bad habits where there's automatic responses. It's funny, like you know, you see emails that come back from people sometimes, and and it's like I'm not interested, nor do I know anyone that might be interested, nor do I have any referrals for you, nor are we hiring. So they basically try to uh, circumvent your next three follow-ups to to, to just eliminate the conversation. So I kind of look at, like, when you see that kind of response when you're a recruiting company, you need to look at that and go, what has happened so poorly that someone's already trying to end any future conversation by shutting you down with that, like, hey, don't even ever think about contacting me again. So that that kind of, to me, is like, you know, there's been a flaw. And and I think unless somebody's willing to, you know, I, you know, straighten that out a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of competing technologies coming into the marketplace that will cut into the recruitment space. I mean, there's there's no less than 20 platforms that are competitors that are trying to be marketplace uh, platforms for people to find candidates and you know, and candidates to find jobs at, at lower fees than typical agencies. And I think recruitment companies don't realize that unless they start adding value where it really should be delivered and reputation and brand, then what's going to happen is there's just going to be more tools and the market's going to shrink. But, you know, I, I mean, I, we, we, I see it. Like I'm a, I'm, I, I fear that I'm looking at that going, well, you know, the platforms are going to get smarter. Artificial intelligence right now probably isn't going to solve the problem, but a decade from now, sure as heck is going to be much more powerful. 
And what then if if it's cutting into the recruitment industry because people view that as a better platform? So to me, brand and reputation now as an agency will, will probably mean a longer term, you know, existence. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, people are more willing to work with people that they know, that they trust, uh, names that they're familiar with. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, technology is nice. All these wonderful apps are nice. But if you know somebody who's, you know, really trustworthy and you you believe in what they're doing, you're more likely as a person to go make that human connection and and work with that person than you would be to use an app. Um, you know, I can say from personal experience on that too. You know, there are several people I work with and small businesses I deal with that. Um, or because I know the person, I know the business, I know the reputation, and I'd rather work with them than work with really anyone else. Absolutely. That's why, um, that's why Yelp, uh, works to a certain extent because we all look at the stars on Yelp ratings and then we go look and see what, what the elite reviews are and then we look used by people with lots of reviews. And and you try to find some, you know, trust factor in those reviews so that you feel comfortable in, in the decision you're making. So I think that goes with everything. I, I think having brand is one thing, but I think the reputation coupled with the brand is what really drives drives business forward. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, maybe in the future, like you said, maybe 10 years down the road, maybe that will change. But I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, humans are still humans, and they they want to find that that common ground and that connection and that that uh, message that speaks to them, you know, personally. And uh, you know, so you know, definitely for people who get it, you know, like yourself, <laughs> where you're already looking at like, okay, this is how I'm going to differentiate myself from the rest of the market. Um, you know, you've got a lot better chance than most people are just like. We're making tons of money. Who really cares? You know, <laughs> people will come to us because we're the largest or we're the you know best or whatever they think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that and that works too. Like, I mean, if you if you're if you're a big dog and you got market share, I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't have to change if it's not broken. Don't fix it. I, I would also say that uh, Internet Explorer one day was the major, major uh, uh, browser on the market. Uh, you know, if you look at what happened <laughs> to IE, um, that that is an interesting tale. But uh, yeah, I'd say yeah, if you already got the the market, you might not want to change. But if you're a small shop and you you got to find a differentiator, I think you really need to find what you what value you provide and just stick. And honestly, in any business, like you got to know what value you provide and 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 beat that drum because that's that's what's going to separate you. That's what people are going to know you for, and that's what's going to drive your growth. So true. Yeah, I mean that that applies to, to really everything, like you said. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, and eventually, you know, like you like you were saying about Internet Explorer, eventually, no matter how big you are, no matter how many people use you on a daily basis, uh, you're eventually going to become irrelevant. And I mean, I, I really only use Internet Explorer for work because I have to. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's that's the only reason. Other than that, I, I I don't touch it because it's an inferior browser compared to the smaller startups that came from nowhere, like those little known companies like Google and uh, Firefox and uh, you know Apple and you know other browsers like that. You know, they came from nothing and they're they're far superior in functionality, form, and um, 
security. Um, and even their next floor is being phased out to be replaced by Edge, which is not really that much better, in my opinion. Yeah, and you know it's funny. It's like you know, we, uh, you know, we, you, you talk about Google, and you know, they own ninety four, ninety five, ninety six, whatever it is percent of the browser market, and that's immense. But then you get a company like DuckDuckGo that uh, you know is is kind of percolating, like it's it's single digit percentage or not even. I don't know. It's I mean, some you know, somebody can do the research, but uh, DuckDuckGo is kind of gaining a little bit of you know, traction and, and, and that's, you know, when you look at how things start, like, you know, it's a competitor that finds a differentiation and DuckDuckGo is all about, you know, not to track your background. So, um, and not be able to see, you know, where you're going, that, that protection that people want. So, yeah, it's interesting. I, I do think that, you know, nobody can stay on top forever. Otherwise standard oil would still be here. Um, and, uh, Sears and, Kmart. So, yeah, I mean, I think you got to you got to push the limits and keep innovating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's why I kind of made the joke about those little known companies like Google and, and Firefox, because I remember yeah. when they didn't even exist. <laughs> I remember uh, going on the search engine and U-Haw, uh, not U-Haw, where did I get that from? Yahoo was the big name. Yeah. And uh, I saw Google and I'm like, what the heck is that? That sounds stupid. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> and they yeah. did nothing and now they're, like you said, 98% of the browser market. And then, of course, you know, I mean, heck, we we might have an interview five years, ten years down the road. And, uh, you know, we'll be talking about how DuckDuckGo is the number one or, or um, you know, there's, there's a couple other ones on the market right now that are really cool that are doing the do not track thing that I've heard of. And I've been looking at them. So, so yeah, I mean, the market changes. you got to be nimble. you got to be willing to make changes and adjust and adapt or die, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's like I mean, Google obviously is way smart, so they're they're putting out stuff, you know, to stay ahead and all that kind of stuff. So I think you know, technology does is a little bit different than other stuff. But yeah, all it takes is you know, small mistake. I mean, uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that that's something we could probably talk about all day. And and I think what's interesting is when you look at you know any business, like it's like empires out there. Empires only last for so long, and and it's difficult for businesses. To, to not change or innovate and stay at the top for an extended period of time, unless there's there is an alternative, in which case, you know, I think then then they have a chance to hang on because there really isn't a, a door B that that is a, is more appealing than um, than than the current market. I mean, it's, 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 look at coffee. I mean, everyone liked McDonald's and Seven Eleven coffee until Starbucks came around. There's door B. There you go. And we all pay four or five X for, you know, what was a under dollar product. And door B opened up a whole new market segment from one shop. And yeah, basically, yeah, the, yeah, I was just mentioning that, yeah, the, you know, one, one, one Starbucks shop in Seattle, you know, was the catalyst to, to changing the way we all view uh, coffee. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and and that's uh, I mean, that's huge. I mean, because from that that one little shop in Seattle and in, in Pike's uh, place um, uh, fish market area um, to all over the country, and now there's hundreds of thousands of boutique coffee shops around. Um, I've been to Seattle, and there's actually one street corner there, uh, a cross corner where there are three Starbucks. 
and a Seattle's Best on the opposing corner. So there's actually a, literally, since Starbucks owns Seattle's Best, there's literally a Starbucks on every corner, which I've never, mm-hmm. I've heard people joke about that, but I've never actually heard of, or I've never actually seen evidence of a business literally being on every corner. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's amazing how the coffee market changed uh, just from that one one uh, place, that one shop, uh, to shifting us from paying, like you said, cents on the dollar for coffee to paying five, six, seven, eight. I've even seen cups of coffee for like twelve, fifteen dollars, and of course they've got that uh, Luwak coffee that's like two hundred dollars a cup. <laughs> so, wow, um, there you go. Yeah, it's amazing how the market can shift and, and, and change just by one idea. Absolutely. Well, uh, I mean, certainly want to thank you for coming on the show, man, and talking about, about your business, what you do, and, and kind of, you know, sharing how you're different from all these other recruiting agencies because I think a lot of people are looking for that kind of differentiation. You know, I know if, if I get back into the market, I would definitely want to work with a business more like yours than the other place that just kept throwing me like, hey, what about this place? What about this place? And didn't really know, you know, what would be a good fit for me, um, you know, job-wise. Um, but what's the best way for people to reach out to you or to uh, find out more about your company? Sure. So, yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's been really uh, fun just chatting and and uh, open dialogue, really enjoyable. Um, yeah, finding me, Amir Bormand, um pretty much on LinkedIn and Twitter, um, easily accessible. Uh, com E-L-E-V-A-N-O.com is the uh, company website, and then aborman at com gets to me. Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope you have a great day. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, everybody. David here from Car Thoughts with David, and I just wanted to share some information with you. You guys have heard me talk about finding your way, finding your path, and starting your journey. Well, if you have decided that you want to start your own podcast, you might be thinking, well, David, that's great, but what do I do? How do I do this? You know, what works? What doesn't work, right? Well, I wrote a book. Because you can go back and find my episodes where I talk about all this stuff and listen to them. And that's all well and good, but sometimes it's easier just to have it in print where you can just see it, right? So, I wrote the book called Introduction to Podcasting, Lessons Learned, Lessons Shared. You can pick it up on Amazon on Kindle for 99 cents, less than a dollar. What? That's crazy, right? Less than a dollar, you can pick it up on Kindle. If you like to have a print book in your hands and you just like the way it feels, and trust me, I'm looking at this book right now, it's really well printed. I love Kindle Publishing. You can pick it up for $5.50. So you can have a physical copy where you can take notes, where you can you know, keep stuff for quick reference while you're working on creating that awesome epic podcast that I know you're capable of creating. So by all means, if you're looking for ways, you're looking for advice, Introduction to Podcasting, Lessons Learned, Lessons Share is the book for you. Thank you guys. And I could not do any of this without your support. So when I say thank you, I mean it. Thank you.